Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you. Thank you for being with us. We are glad to have you along. If you want to be a part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how C Spire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. Thanks for being with us. We have on the docket this weekend, Mississippi State at Kentucky. That game will kick off at 6.30 Central Time tomorrow night on SEC Network. We've got Ole Miss hosting Alabama. That game will kick off 6.30 Central Time on ESPN. Southern Miss's game has been canceled with FAU this weekend. We've talked uh, for a couple of days about kind of waiting to see what the update would be on that ball game. It has been canceled, but perhaps not for the reason that you anticipated. We were all looking at Hurricane Delta, looking at landfall, looking at where Hattiesburg was located, and I think we're seeing the reason that they didn't cancel the game. It actually looks like the majority of that storm and its most intense parts is going to skirt north of Hattiesburg. It's going to make landfall this evening looks like it's going to be just to the west of Lake Charles, and then we'll make a uh, northeastern track as it moves uh, up in, uh, you know, across Louisiana and into the state of Mississippi and, and beyond. But looks like the majority of it is going to be north of Hattiesburg. But again, that is not why the game has been canceled. It is canceled because of COVID-related uh, concerns. For Florida Atlantic University, how is that for a 2020 plot twist? Goodness. Yeah, I, was, I was on social media last night, and I saw the game was canceled. I was thinking, gosh, you know, Jack Duggan had just texted you like an hour before that saying, as far as we know, we're still on. And then I was okay, it's canceled. I guess they got, they got the word they can't do it. And then I read the article in News Mississippi, and I'm like, oh, no, it's not that. It's the, it's the other reason games are getting canceled. Okay, as you were. As you were, Hurricane Delta uh, currently still in the Gulf of Mexico. It is expected to make landfall this evening with winds in the 105-mile-per-hour range. I think it's currently a um, Category 2 hurricane and looks like it's probably going to be a Category 2 when it makes landfall. And... um, so, the, I mean, significant wind. I mean, 100-mile-an-hour wind is really, really significant. It's not 150-mile-an-hour wind, but it's a big deal. But I think the biggest concern is, or concerns, especially as it makes landfall south and maybe just to the west of Lake Charles, 
is flooding, storm surge, and a hurricane on top of kind of the devastation from the previous hurricane that uh, that came through there just a little over a month ago. It is a, a double whammy for that part of the state of Louisiana. Borky, we talked about, you know, with the last landfall there, it, you're not talking about the same population center that uh, that you are in New Orleans or if it were to come on shore and get into Baton Rouge really quickly. But that's a part of the country and a part of the state of Louisiana that's, you know, had its share of devastation recently and to turn around and get the exact same thing as some of the recovery efforts from the, the last storm are really just kind of getting going good. Uh, it certainly is uh, is tough for that part of Louisiana. Yeah, I've got a, a buddy that lives there or lived there. They made he and his wife made the decision this week that they're not bringing their kids back because uh, their house um, did better than most houses there. But after this one, he was like, "I can't bring my my daughter home uh, after this again." So we're just going to move. We're calling it quits, and that, that's really that's just depressing to hear somebody say. But that's the reality of their situation is they're moving they're done because they're not surviving this the uh the storm track shows saturday morning into the northeastern part of louisiana throughout the day it will move uh, across the mississippi delta will cross the uh, mississippi river and get into kind of west central mississippi saturday afternoon it does look if i'm i'm looking at this track accurately like it is going to pass through north-central Mississippi, which is where Oxford is, of course, where Ole Miss is, on Saturday night. And looking at the uh, the forecast, kind of the hour-by-hour, hour, it's going to rain during the game, and it's probably going to rain for the entirety of the game. And at times, it will probably rain hard. I don't know if it's going to be that type of rain where you're looking out and you can barely see in front of you, or if it's just going to be a steady rain, or if it's going to be a light rain. But we are going to get a lot of rain it started at, I don't know, this morning, raining lightly in Oxford. So you've got a wet surface already that is going to get significant rain between now and kickoff. They're going to do the best they can to keep the field in great shape. But there's only so much water that grass and dirt can handle, especially when you put 22 guys out there and have them running with you know cleats on, whatever. Yeah. So field conditions could potentially be an issue. Wind could be an issue, but it doesn't look like it's going to be super significant in terms of wind, more like, you know, 15 to 20, 25 miles an hour, which is a far cry from, you know, a random Saturday afternoon when it's 72 and sunny with, you know, 8 to 10 mile an hour breezes. Different than that. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see the role that the weather plays in the game between Ole Miss and Alabama uh, that, that kicks off tomorrow night at 630 possible possible you're dealing with that in lexington as well although the field conditions aren't really something you have to worry about uh my question is generally speaking wet weather favors a running football team that might be a situation that mississippi state has to deal with in lexington but i wonder at what point does saturation of the field and if it's 20 mile an hour winds and raining, and the field's been rained on for hours and hours and hours and hours leading up to it, at what point does it just become a slop fest with no advantage to really anybody, and you're just like hoping nobody gets hurt, and one team will win 7-3 to three if you can get a field goal up, and you all go home, and your jerseys are brown? 
Are you talking about Oxford or Lexington? Oxford. Lexington's got turf. They're good. And the, the chance of rain yeah. is not near as high. I mean, it's you know 30 to 50% during the, the time in which the game's going to be played, and it's, um, you know, no big deal. No significant win, maybe a light rain, maybe even a heavy rain mixed in, but not going to be too bad. They're going to be fine in Lexington tomorrow night. Yeah, but the the weather might impact the game to some degree. Possibly. But in Oxford, but in Oxford yeah, Oxford, I mean, yeah. so 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 everybody walks off the the field and their jerseys are completely brown and, you know, you you're trying to figure out what's grass and what's mud and, you know, whatever. Um I mean, let's be honest, it favors the team that's more talented because both okay. teams are playing in the same conditions. And Alabama is the more talented football team. So if you say, "Hey, bad weather, is it going to favor Ole Miss or Alabama? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it favors one or the other. I would say it affects them equally, and the talented team, the more talented team, especially if it's significantly more talented, probably maintains whatever advantage they had in great conditions. Now, if Alabama were having to play in slop and Ole Miss were playing under you know, a starry Saturday sky, then okay, maybe you go advantage Ole Miss. I've always heard people kind of go back and forth on the, well, if you're a grinded-out running team, then then you've got the, the advantage. Maybe. Offensive linemen are going to be able to stay on their feet. Are tacklers, you know, defensive guys that have trouble tackling, are they going to have more trouble tackling in the mess? I, I, I don't know. People say that wide receivers have the advantage because they know where they're going and DBs are reacting. Yeah, there's probably some truth to that. I'm sure both teams have engaged in a significant amount of time this week with wet ball drills. Who handles that better? You know, one thing that, that you had last week in the game for Ole Miss against Kentucky, you had probably a dozen bad snaps. Now, it never cost Ole Miss. Matt Corral was able to handle them. One should but, have. Down, yeah, down on the right. goal line. Yeah, it should have, but Corral did a nice job with that. If the ball is wet and the field is muddy, maybe the bounce you get off a, a snap that rolls back to the quarterback is different than it would be otherwise. You didn't get any of those last week where it cost you. Probably got to be pretty pretty good with the whole snap thing. Maybe you go to a scenario where you operate under center a little bit more. I don't think that'll be what they do. It's in the repertoire, but it's almost like that's special plays as opposed to, um, you know, kind of the the regular deal. I certainly would change the timing on read option plays a lot. Oh yeah, I played in a, a rain game like this in high school where the grass was dormant, and you know, high schools can't really afford to overseed. And it had rained for three consecutive consecutive days leading up to the game, so there was no lines on the field. The officials asked the teams to stand on the sideline so we would know where the sidelines were. It was that oh, bad. Wow. And it was just like, get out of the way and we'll guess and find out when you stepped out of bounds. But please, like, stand closer so we know where it is. It was crazy. Good news is in Oxford, it didn't start raining until late last night. So they should have been able to prep the field and get everything ready to go yesterday in preparation for uh, a Saturday football game. Just getting started, Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Our text line, 601-879-4395. Joe and Starkle says, forget the rain. They better worry about Bama. Yeah. 
probably right. It's all rolled into one, though. It's part of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, question, why did they not move the game up to tonight in primetime? Aren't both teams prepared at this point? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they looked at a lot of different options, and I think that... Because Saturday night primetime is more valuable than Friday night primetime, and they're willing to take the risk. Yeah, and you got Louisville and Georgia Tech playing at 6 o'clock tonight on ESPN already. Um, I mean, I, I think... The bottom line is they looked at the forecast and felt like Saturday night was going to be an okay time to play the football game. That the wind was not going to be to a level in which you couldn't do anything with it. And looks like from a forecast standpoint, the majority of the thunderstorms are going to be earlier in the day. They're going to get out of there. And yes, it's going to rain. And yes, the wind is going to blow. And yes, the field will turn into a mud track before it's all said and done. But that's part of football. Right? One of the things I'm going to ask Lane Kiffin about, i just give you a little spoiler alert. I was thinking about this earlier today. I'm going to say, you, you know, you, you may think I'm an idiot for asking this question, but there is, an, is there an element of a game like this where you're like, this takes me back to when I was 12 years old playing mud football in either the backyard or my neighbor's backyard? And he may say, yeah, Richard, you are an idiot. That has absolutely nothing to do with this one. And you're right, it doesn't have anything to do with this, other than the fact that at some point people that play football hate at this level do it because they love it. And there is joy associated with playing the game, and I don't know that there's a more joyful time than when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, not in pads, out there covered in mud from head to toe playing a game with your buddies. And he may just say, Richard, you are an idiot, but not because of this question. He may just think you're an idiot. Uh, Altogether possible as well. Very possible. But, yes, you're correct. I mean, mud football as a child, as a kid, was fantastic. And even in high school, and in the, the few rain games that I remember, a lot of fun. Uh, but we'll see what it, what it does on Saturday night. There's a difference between you know, mud and the ball as soon as it leaves the quarterback's hands. I don't know where it's going because of the wind. I, I, there's a difference in that for me. So we'll see where it takes us Saturday night. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Somebody corrected me, said, hey, Richard, it's Category 3 hurricane. Well, I'm okay, except for the fact that I'm looking at the Weather Channel's update that came at 3 o'clock and has it listed as a Category 2 with sustained winds of 105 miles an hour and Category 3 hurricane. Not that this matters one way or the other, but Category 3 hurricanes technically start at 110 miles an hour sustained wind. So... I mean, you, you, you sent me a screenshot from Hurricane Center. I, I, I mean, whatever. Tomato, tomato. It's a big, nasty storm with rain and wind in excess of 100 miles an hour. Category 2, Category 3, however you want to. But I just went to the National Hurricane Center's website and weather.com, and both of them have it listed as a Category 2 because of the wind speeds right now. But nevertheless... Um, let, let's switch gears for a second. We're going to talk a lot of football today. We're going to talk a lot of high school football. We are going to talk a lot of college football. We're going to make our picks. Bruce uh, Marshall is going to join us from the gold sheet. We're going to talk with him about uh, the lines, all of those things. But there's a really big basketball story that emerged last night. And... Borky, I couldn't decide who was first. 
Like the athletic was the first place that I saw it, but then I started reading and I came across. Uh, I guess Jay Billis retweeted the story that came from Stadium that was written by Jeff Goodman. And as I read that story, they referenced a months-long investigation into the conduct of Greg Marshall, who is the head basketball coach at Wichita State. And a handful of years ago, led them to the Final Four. Had a really good run. Huge investment into that program. Coke Industries, Charles Coke, the Coke brothers, one of them passed away. I don't remember which one. I think it was David Coke that passed away. Uh, they, they have, they are the reason that Greg Marshall is still there. He's making three and a half million dollars a year to be the head coach of Wichita State. So regardless of who was first, doesn't matter. Well, they kind of work in conjunction, right? Because Shams works for both. And he is okay. the preemptive basketball reporter for the Athletics. So I assume there's some crossover there because of that. Well, but he's more NBA than college, isn't he? He is, but that dude, I mean, he broke, I don't know if he broke it, but he was, like, the second Trump tweeted that he had COVID, Shams did as well. Like, he had a source that told him that the president had COVID. Hmm. So he's everywhere. Okay. Just an information guy. That's fine. Anyway, point being, regardless of who reported it first or how long they had been investigating it, Greg Marshall being accused of physically assaulting a player and an assistant coach in addition to being verbally abusive over the course of a long period of time. And there are some pretty damning allegations in here. Shaq Morris, forward for Wichita State, told Stadium that he was punched twice by Coach Greg Marshall during a 2015 practice. Greg Marshall also allegedly choked assistant coach Kyle Lindstead during the 2016-17 season, according to three eyewitnesses. The incidents involving those two individuals were part of numerous allegations of physical and verbal abuse by Marshall against members of Wichita State's program. More than 30 former and current members of the basketball program told Stadium. According to the report, he originally uh, routinely physically and verbally abused members of the program and demeaned his players with ethnic and racial slurs. Wichita State, upon learning of the investigation and the reporting by Stadium, initiated its own investigation last month. Hired a law firm out of St. Louis to do just that. Greg Marshall did not respond to multiple requests from Stadium on Thursday for comment. The athletic director, Darren Boatwright, referred them to the school's strategic communications unit. During the six-month investigation, Stadium contacted 36 former and current members of the Wichita State program, 26 players, 10 assistant coaches, who have played for or coached with Greg Marshall at some point during the 13 years in which he has been the head coach at Wichita State. A former assistant said, he's a maniac, a bully. He disrespects people, brings up personal stuff, family, girlfriends. Let me read you a few of the allegations. Marshall punched Morris in the head during a practice in October of 2015. Morris quoted, I love my teammates in the city and Wichita State, but if I could go back to that day when he punched me, I would have left. Greg Marshall choked the assistant coach we mentioned a second ago, Linstead, at a practice during the 16-17 season. 
Linstead is now an assistant for Richard Patino at Minnesota. He declined comment. Marshall taunted junior forward Isaiah Puber Chandler, who is of Native American descent, quote, to get back on his horse, close quote, and made Indian howling noises while in practice during the 1819 season. He body shamed a former player by lifting his shirt up during a practice in the 15-16 season, grabbing the player's stomach, and then mocking the player's girth. There were a couple of players that did come to his defense, say, I never saw any of this, but far more came out and said they did see it. All right, full disclosure. I have done two Wichita State games in the last three years for television. Greg Marshall was um, he was captivating to visit with. His filter was far less than some coaches. He is very much kind of an old school tough guy, but he was incredibly engaging. And there's no question he's an outstanding basketball coach. And on top of that, for all of the things that are alleged in this story, man, his players played hard for him. And that's the only thing that gives me pause in this. If he was this much of a tyrant and was terrible to his coaches, uh, his coaches and his players, he was verbally abusive, physically abusive. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea that he would get the level of effort and just, you know, grind it out in games that he got from his teams. He got that. That's the only thing that gives me pause, but there's a lot of corroboration in this report of what happened. A few of the Based players on, way down in the bottom of the report say he was a great coach. We, I mean, great coach. But he mistreated us. Found that interesting. So they respected him from that perspective, but didn't like the way they treated him, or he treated him. Even after all this, they still say that. Yeah. Player said, bottom line is that it's oppressive, not discipline. That was from a former assistant. Stuff you wouldn't believe. And then a player said, he's a smart, great coach, just a bad person. We'll circle back to this coming up a little bit later. Let's talk high school football next. On Super Talk Mississippi. Friday with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, now Stephen Gagliano joins us as well. Normally we'd be telling you about the high school football scoreboard show presented by Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Companies that was coming up later this evening. That is not happening. That happened last night from 10 until 1130. We would also be telling you about the high school football preview show that is coming your way immediately when we finish. Well, there is a show coming up immediately when we finish, but that is going to be a wrap-up show because the overwhelming majority of the football games that were going to be played this weekend in the state of Mississippi at the high school level occurred last night. And you got a lot of rain in a lot of parts of Mississippi tonight, 
Probably pretty good decision because it was a good weather night over most of the state of Mississippi uh, last night. Stephen, we talked about some of these games yesterday. What do we need to know in terms of results? What stood out for you last night? Yeah, so the big one starting us off, and we talked about it yesterday beforehand, Lake Cormorant and West Point. Lake Cormorant able to upset West Point in that game, 35-26. Didn't see that coming. Not at all, and a lot of people didn't based on the fact that this was West Point's first home district loss since 2014. What do you think the line was in that game going in? (laughs) We did this a couple weeks ago, and we didn't get in trouble, so I'm glad that we can do it again. Um, I'm guessing that probably would have been West Point by at least 14. and what, Yeah, I, I was thinking two touchdowns, you know, somewhere between two touchdowns and 17 points, something along those lines. Right, yeah, so late Cormorant just with an outright upset there. and that was, Wrong team favored! <laughs> overrated. I'm sure the chance were going there with the whatever, 20, or no, now it's 50% capacity allowed. So Those never make sense anyway. The, no, they don't. The, 75% the capacity now. Huh. Did you mean the chant doesn't yes. make sense? Uh, chanting overrated. After you beat a, a highly ranked team, you want to let everybody know that they weren't that good? You should be <laughs> no. saying appropriately rated. No, that doesn't <laughs> ring. But, like, you know. <laughs> I'm sure we, yeah. can, we can test that out just in case Ole Miss has any kind of chance on Saturday. If people are in the stands, they can, they have can a, test that I out. I have a guess that we could probably save that for down the road. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. So Lake Cormorant gets that win. Um, I'm not asking you necessarily to be the uh, like historian of high school football in the state of Mississippi. I, I don't think you're old enough for that, Stephen. <laughs> but Lake Cormorant is, you know, it's one of those DeSoto County schools that has come to be in the last 15 years. 10, 15, 20 years, I'm not sure exactly what the window is. I wonder if that's the biggest win in their program's history. I would imagine so, and I mean, it's not every day, like I mentioned, that West Point loses a district game at home, and for Lake Cormorant, that is a massive win, not only just to beat West Point, but now that puts them in a four-way tie in Region 1 of 5A, and coming into the season, a lot of people, myself included, just kind of assumed, okay, West Point, I've heard about them ever since I moved here and ever since I started doing this, Mm -hmm. but... You know, so you kind of pencil them into that number one slot in Region One. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Lake Cormorant, West Point, Lafayette, who got a big win last night over Center Hill, and then Center Hill also still tied for a four-way tie in Region One of Five A. So that's going to be a really fun group of teams to watch as we enter the home stretch of the season. By the way, guys, am I crazy when I said seventy-five percent capacity? I think it's fifty. Yeah, it, it went, went from, from 25% to 50%. I'm sorry. But the club areas in college and restaurants and stuff are up to 70 Okay, but high school football is now operating at 50% capacity. Right, yes. In in the or, in the most recent order, a couple things were bumped up to 75, I believe, like restaurant capacity, that kind of stuff. But high school football is still at 50%. Hey, Stephen, what am I seeing on the Internet? What happened at the Germantown-South Panola game? Uh, as far as the score goes, I can tell you that South Panola beat Germantown 19-16. to uh, Germantown actually up late in that game with a score. Uh, South Panola kind of rallied to go down and, and score the game-winning touchdown. 
Uh, their running back, uh, D. Partee, I believe is how his name is pronounced. Uh, three touchdowns, including the late one, to give them the win. So a really big win by South Panola. Is there a specific moment uh, that you're asking well, about? Apparently a referee was removed from the game. They found out that South Panola's baseball coach was one of the refs last night. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so you're saying that would give them some kind of advantage then? That's would that I'm, be a I, conflict of interest? <laughs> I believe so. I mean, I guess I've just I've seen it on several message boards. I've had I've seen some people talking about it on Twitter today that uh, he he made some uh, he made some calls and then uh, they they determined that he was he did not need to be out there officiating. I did not hear about that. I will certainly ask around and see what I can find out. Okay. That's going to do a little bit of digging and a little bit more that you might uh, hear about on the pre the uh, well what whatever the high school football show tonight at six right and I mean another I guess thing that came out of that game we were uh, told by Judge George Carlson who called in after the show or after the game excuse me called into last night's show that South Panola's game next week against Neshoba Central they were going to step out of uh, out of their region play. Uh, that game has actually been canceled preemptively, so we did find that out from that game, but uh, we'll have to do more digging on what you just brought to my attention. Fair enough. Uh, you were talking to us yesterday about Taylorsville and Wes Jones, is that right? Yeah, uh, Wes Jones able to get a win in that one, 35-21. Uh, Taylorsville kept it pretty close throughout most of the first half and early into the third quarter. Eventually, though, Wes Jones in that offense just too much and able to pull away late. Uh, so, again, not a region game there, but just a matchup of two of the better teams in their respective districts, and Wes Jones able to come out with a win in that one. What other scores were, uh, were big last night? I'll go ahead and throw you guys this one, and I'm going to ask you about a name first. Does okay. the name Ethan Hunt mean anything to either or to all three of you guys? Mm, not on the surface. Okay. Not off the top of my head. No. So I won't try it then tonight either. Ethan Hunt is the name of the guy in Mission Impossible. So the kicker for Ocean That's Springs, right. Ethan Hunt, nailed a 32-yard field goal as time expired to beat Biloxi 31-29. Last night on the show, tried a Mission Impossible joke. No one knew what I was talking about. It did not go over well. So I'm <laughs> glad I didn't try it here this time. But uh, let's see what else we got. We've also got uh, Presbyterian Christian. Uh, six wins in a row for them. They win 49-32 over Simpson. And a huge shout-out to running back Marquise Crosby for PCS. Went for over 300 yards last night and five touchdowns. And he leads the entire nation with over 2,000 rushing yards at this point in the season. Wow. In how many games? I believe they've played seven. Maybe okay. eight, but whether it's seven or eight, uh, that is absolutely incredible. And I think the next closest player was about three to four hundred yards behind him. So he's got some separation. Is there anything happening tonight, Stephen? There are a few games going on tonight. Uh, we've got actually, well, Hattiesburg and Picayune is probably the biggest game that's left to be played, and that's actually not till tomorrow. So we've got high school okay. football on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week. Uh, tonight you do have Washington at Jackson Prep, uh, Jay-Z George at Pillow Academy, and then Scott Central at Newton, uh, a 4-1 Scott Central team going up against a 3-1 Newton team. So that's probably your best uh, MHSAA game going on tonight. All right. Um, 
Anything that really changes the way we look at region standings uh, across the state? I mean, is it going back to that Lake Cormorant-West Point game? Or does that not really change anything in terms of the standings? I think that is going to be your biggest result of last night. And like I said, kind of throwing everybody into that four-way tie at the top of Region 1 of 5A. Another one was Warren Central shutting out Madison Central 8 nothing. Not a great night for Warren Central's offense, but they are still able to get a win. Still undefeated. They go <laughs> even, in- even less great night for Madison Central's <laughs> offense. <laughs> exactly. But I figured I'd start with the winning team at least. But, uh, but yeah, so Warren Central, Madison Central, they were one of those games that got really affected by a lot of rain. I think there were a lot of turnovers in that game. Neither offense able to do much of anything. Madison Central, though, two losses, two shutouts. And now they go into a week where they play Starkville. And if you can't score against Starkville, then you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble early in that game. Luke Altmeyer is going to be able to put up points, I believe, on that Madison Central defense. Not that many, but, but uh, the Jaguars are going to have to be able to score against Starkville this week. But Warren Central now kind of cements themselves as that number two team in Region 2 of 6A. So uh, you're saying that you think maybe Luke Altmeyer and the Jackets will put up more than eight? I think so. I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Seems reasonable. Uh, Stephen, really appreciate you being with us yesterday and today as well as we look at the high school football landscape. Kind of a weird week. You know, you had a bunch of cancellations due to uh, COVID, handful of those. Uh, the, uh, I don't know, two-thirds of the games in the state of Mississippi moved up to Thursday night, handful of games tonight. Uh, all of our guys uh, there in Jackson doing a great job. And when we finish up at 6 o'clock, you can hear a full wrap-up of last night's games and a quick look at the things that are happening tonight as well. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, guys. That's Stephen Gagliano, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. we got folks arguing with us back and forth on the ceasefire text line about what exactly the story about the uh, game official was in South Panola, Germantown last night. Some saying that this uh, gentleman never officiated the game. He was actually removed before the game began. Others saying that he made an egregious call during the game that uh, was in favor of South Panola. So I have uh, reached out to um, someone that works in the officiating community in Mississippi at a really high level, and hopefully we will get a definitive answer that we will pass along to you because I do think accuracy when something like that comes up is important. So we will uh, do our best to uh, get to the bottom of that story and pass it along to you as well. Um, Hogman wants to know our prediction of Hogs and Auburn Tigers. We're going to make our picks a little bit later on, but uh, I'm curious, do, do you guys have, could, could it be two in a row? Auburn Arkansas? by 50, just for you. Auburn by 50? Honestly, though, this could be one of those games that, um, unless you're trying to torture somebody, you you don't tune in. Okay. I mean, and potentially weather there in Auburn as well, so you could have a really just slow and ugly football game. Mm, All right. Feels like it'd be kind of low score, doesn't it? What's the total? Yeah. 
You have that. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the uh, college scoreboard where that would be right there. Obviously, Auburn is a uh, significant favorite in the game. You've got, what is it? Auburn is a 14-point favorite. 45-and-a-half is the total. Oof. You don't see that, hey, Dad? Uh, I could see it being a low-scoring game, yeah. I don't think either one of those offenses are particularly great. I do. I have gotten a kick this week out of uh, Auburn players saying they're going to try to win this one for Chad Morris because they took it personally, like him going 4-18. and 18 Oh, shut up! I mean, like, I appreciate uh, the manufactured billboard material, but come on. Come on. Yeah, I mean, that's, we're going to go win ridiculous. this one for Chad Morris. They did him wrong in Fayetteville. I'll tell you what, if somebody if somebody wins a game for Chad Morris for, for with Arkansas involved, it'll be the first time. It'll be the much. first time. It'll be the first time. Which SEC game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Honestly, Georgia. it's Mississippi State, Kentucky. Yeah. Outside of the one that I covered, probably Georgia-Tennessee. Want to see if Tennessee is for real. Could Florida-Texas A&M be more entertaining than uh, than we think? I A&M think made so. some plays against Alabama last week. Just not enough. I, I don't think so. I think A&M is, is, is not good. Okay. I knew, they were, I knew they were overrated, but I think they may actually be not good. Uh, for just how bad... Bad it could look. South Carolina Vanderbilt. That's like watching a, a train wreck. You don't want to look. You just have to. You're gonna you're gonna rubberneck that thing. And sometimes two bad teams end up producing a pretty good football game. Maybe. Don't confuse close in score with good. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that is uh, that is fair. Tennessee Georgia's at two thirty on CBS. Hey, Dad, you said I mean outside the one you're you're covering. I'm really intrigued by Mississippi State Kentucky, and I'm bummed out that that game is happening at the exact same time that Ole Miss Alabama's happening. So I'm going to do a little work on the DVR and go back and uh, and watch it either late tomorrow night or sometime on Sunday. It's the most fascinating matchup to me this weekend in the SEC. And for a couple of reasons. Excuse me. Reason number one, I think anytime you've got a Mike Leach coach team, they're fascinating. Like if you're just flipping channels as a random college football fan and you see Mike Leach's team, you're going to stop and watch at least, for, at least for a little while because they play a little bit different than everybody else plays, just in the way they approach it. That's number one reason it's fascinating. Number two, Kentucky's sitting there at 0-2. And have you guys peeked at Kentucky's upcoming schedule? Yeah, I know we talked... Their next yeah. two are at uh, at Tennessee and then Georgia. So they, if they lose to State, they're, they are, they're probably going to be 0-5. And, and then they still have Florida and Alabama down the road. So now right. we're best case, you're three and seven. And this was not a team that was supposed to be three and seven this year. No, no. It's a talented Kentucky team. It's good on the line of scrimmage. Really good on the line of scrimmage on the offensive side. So because of the importance of this game for Kentucky, and also, frankly, I'm fascinated to see what 
what what you can take away from the Kentucky Mississippi State game potentially as it pertains to Ole Miss, who just played them a week ago. Get a common opponent in there to do a little comparing and try to kind of start to think about what that matchup between the Bulldogs and the Rebels is going to look like at the end of November. It's a long way off, I understand. But it's fun to do that. A little transitive property action going. One hour in the books. Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you, 4 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, every Friday at this time during football season. We visit with our good friend Bruce Marshall. He is at Bruce A. Marshall on Twitter. You can find his work online at goldsheet.com. He's been with the Gold Sheet for a, uh, a really long time. Some other places that Bruce will tell you about as well where you can uh, track all of his picks and order his picks if you want them also. Bruce, what's up? Week three in the SEC. Man, it is really getting exciting here. We've got some good showdown games this weekend. You've got a good one there at Vaught Hemingway. And, Maybe. Uh, it seems to get better every week here, so I uh, can't wait. I want to start today in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. Because that is the game that is most fascinating to me. We were talking about this just before the break uh, a minute ago to finish up the 3 o'clock hour. Kentucky backed into a corner, especially when you look at what is ahead on their schedule. They are 0-2, but they're talented, especially on the offensive line. I saw that up close and personal last week. And Mississippi State licking its wounds a bit after a great win to start the year, but then following it up with the loss at home to Arkansas. Uh, Kentucky, a slight favorite. It's not a pick'em game. I think just two. Uh, actually, maybe has gone back to a field goal. What do you make of Kentucky and Mississippi State? This is interesting, and uh, the, the 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 dilemma that we have is we've had two disparate efforts, uh, Rich, with Mississippi State thus far, um, and uh, with Costello and that offense going bonkers in the first game against LSU, and then they got uh, slowed down. Big time by Arkansas last week. Uh, Costello threw three picks, only six of 17 on third downs. So it didn't work that well last week. One thing about Mississippi State, um, the, the defense is playing pretty well. And this is what we thought would be a secret plus for the Bulldogs with uh, Jack Arnett. The coordinator, Leach, hired from San Diego State. He's running a rocky long 3-3-5 defense. It did keep Miles Brennan uh, under pressure in the opening game. Um, and Arkansas didn't. Uh, Franks was throwing short a lot last week. He wasn't able to go down downtown too much. Now, you saw Terry Wilson in Kentucky last week. I think they still miss Bowden a little bit. Well, I know Wilson's not bad, but Bowden really gave them a, a little bit extra, and they, they have been springing some leaks on defense. I Because Leach is a slight dog, we took them this week, uh, 27-26. Not my favorite. It's a tough spot here, but I think Leach is an underdog, 15-8. and eight. Last 23, that's not bad. Back to his Washington State days. So a little lean there to the Bulldogs. But I agree with you. It should be a very interesting game in Lexington. So you think Mississippi State wins outright. There's some trepidation there and covers what is a a small number. Man, that spells doom for Kentucky going forward, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, they have lost. uh, I, I, I am thinking that game last week might really come back and haunt Kentucky. 
Um, you know, I know they, they felt that, you know, the Auburn was when they had a chance, but that didn't work last week. The game, they sure won. Uh, but, uh, this is, uh, except Vanderbilt and maybe Missouri. I mean, there, there isn't an easy touch in the SEC like usual. And, uh, they're going to be challenged with another, uh, very interesting, uh, opponent this week. So, uh, yeah, I think Kentucky could be on three. Yep. All right, so in Oxford, Ole Miss is a, looks like now, 23.5-point underdog at home. The total has gone down just a little bit to 69.5, probably because of the forecast. Looks like it's going to rain all day and through the game tomorrow night. Alabama, obviously, the more talented team. They're off to a 2-0 start. They've looked pretty complete so far, Bruce. It's a big number. Is it a big enough number, or is the number too big when you look at Alabama and Ole Miss? I think it's too big, and but you mentioned that total, Rich, and that has dropped early in the week. It was in the high 70s, then the reports came that you're going to have some weather tomorrow, so that, that dropped the total some. That always doesn't equate the scoring of games. Sometimes you get games that are higher scoring with the, off with the rain, but we'll see just how hard it rains and if the quarterbacks can grip the ball and all that. What we do know is that uh, these games are 60 minutes long, obviously, and uh, Matt Corral is going to be throwing all 60 minutes. The back door is going to be open. I mean, Ole Miss almost got in the back door at the end of the Florida game. Um, you're getting over three touchdowns here. Um, and uh, he will be you know, winging the ball. I know Saban has never lost to an old assistant. He did coach against Kiffin once before, 09 at Tennessee. Uh, but that was before Kiffin was on Saban's staff. No love loss between these two guys, I don't think, after Kiffin left a few years ago. Um but uh, I see this sort of like the Missouri game for Alabama. They'll be well ahead. The Mac Jones offense is working very nicely. But this is a big number for a team that's going to keep throwing and throwing and throwing. And it looks like Corral is mastering uh, the nuances of the Lane Kiffin offense pretty quickly here. So uh, we're going to take points and updated score forecast 45-31. Uh, that would still be over that total. Alabama is going to score here, but I think that, you know, and they may even get the number at some point. But by the end, I think uh, Ole Miss comes in the back door. So 45 31, that actually gives you a little wiggle room, even with that minus 23 and a half, a 14 point difference there. Bruce, I am curious more big picture how you handicap games when you know that the weather is, is or at least could be a significant factor. It's, it's tough, Rich, because sometimes if it's really bad, um, and we saw, I mean, I think back that Notre Dame-NC State game, what was it, like 2016, that hurricane blew through the Carolinas. That game shouldn't have been played, and the field was waterlogged, and it slowed the game down. Uh, but if, if you're not quite to that degree, the, the weather doesn't seem to change things too much. It can be wet, and it can be raining, but as long as it's not a, a deluge, um, I don't think the scoring is going to usually held down. Sometimes it goes the other way. I mean, I've seen snow games where the, the scoring goes out of control high, yeah. and the defense doesn't know where it's going. So it just depends on the degree of the rain that would slow down the total. Besides, that's tough to say uh, how it works. But generally, unless it's really, really bad, um, I don't think it, it, it plays into the handicap at least too much. Bruce, for me, a little bit of a head-scratcher when I look at the line on Florida at Texas A&M. Florida's been really good offensively. Texas A&M has not been terribly impressive in their first two ball games, and yet Florida less than a touchdown favorite in College Station. Is this like a, a last-stand game early in the season for, for Jimbo and Texas A&M? Is there something that we're not seeing here? Why is that number only six? 
I think probably because Florida didn't cover that game against South Carolina last week, although played well and they had some guys out. Uh, I, I, we thought that was too many points for Florida to be laying last week, but they're still giving Jimbo a little bit too much respect here, and Kyle Field as well. I mean, it's not the same. They're not going to. It's not normal crowd you get down there, um, and I, I, I don't think this is coming together at, at College Station the way they those Aggie X's want it to. They didn't pay Jimbo all that money to go to the Texas Bowl. They want to win the SEC West and get in the Final Four. That ain't happening, at least not yet. And this was the year it was supposed to happen. That's a heavy senior lineup. you got a senior quarterback who's not making progress. In his third year also is Dan Mullen. He's making progress there. And Kyle Trask, has, I mean, he's uh, uh, you know moving into the Heisman contention, 10 TD passes. Another Kyle Pitts, the tight end, is a first-round, maybe a top-10 NFL pick. He is hard to stop. Gives great uh, protect, great blanket for uh, Trask and uh, Mullins covered games out in the SEC road. I, I think Florida gets them here. Thirty-one nineteen. Our score forecast Gators, and this is sort of a measuring stick where Mullins is in his third year and where Jimbo is. I think Mullins ahead and things are getting better, and I'm not sure that's the case at A&M. All right, give me that score one more time. Thirty-one nineteen. Gators. 31-19, so that's a relatively easy cover there for Florida in this ballgame. Tennessee at Georgia. You mentioned measuring stick just a second ago. How much of a measuring stick is this for Tennessee? And, and, and is it more about how they play and less about whether or not they actually win? Or is this one where for Jeremy Pruitt to really get traction, he's got to get this W? Sort of yes on all those, although I think if Tennessee came close here, it would be an indicator that they're really in the right direction. And I think that's already pretty much confirmed. If you win eight in a row against anybody, that's still eight in a row. Nobody's got a longer win streak in the country right now than Tennessee, so good for the Vols. But uh, now, I mean, this is a big step up. And in that eight-game win streak, Rich, I look back, best win in there, you know, Indiana in the bowl game was one point. They did go into Kentucky, and they won that. Kentucky is knocking on the goal line at the end, and they couldn't get in, and that was close. This is a big step up, and Georgia has been hammering Tennessee in recent years. Last three, closest game, 26. Last year, 43-14. Garantano played very sparingly in that game, um, so he's uh, you know been in the, the pilot's chair for most of the time since, and it's coming together nice for Jeremy, but I don't think they're going to be able to do, get – this is not that snazzy of a Tennessee offense. They try to wear you down. They aren't going to wear down Georgia's defense. We saw what Kirby did to Gus Malzahn's offense last week. And listen, Stetson Bennett, um, you know, he's shorter than our friend Brett Norsworthy up in Memphis. Man, he's a gamer. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I don't think Daniels is going to get in for a while. The SC transfer, I think Kirby's really happy with Bennett. 29-10 Georgia. That defense is just so good. And I just, you know, if Tennessee falls behind in this game, they're going to have trouble because they're just not that snazzy and they're not going to play the power game that worked against Missouri last week. That ain't going to work against Georgia tomorrow. Bruce A. Marshall on Twitter. Check him out at goldsheet.com. You get, can get his picks also at VegasInsiderDonBest.com as well. Bruce, always enjoy it. Enjoy the weekend. You too, uh, Rich. Take care. Thank you, man. I'm trying to remember what Lee Sterling said yesterday about the uh, Mississippi State-Kentucky game. Where did he fall in that one? Hey, Dad. I believe he had Kentucky. I think he had Kentucky in a close one. I think that's right. I think you're right about that.
So Bruce Marshall goes with Florida over Texas A&M. Florida's a six-point favorite. He had them winning 31-19. He picked Georgia 29-10 and thought that the Georgia defense was just going to be too much for Tennessee. Uh, Georgia's a 12-and-a-half-point favorite in that ballgame. Alabama as a 23-and-a-half-point favorite. I think he said 45-31 the final which would be uh, Ole Miss covering the, the number. And he said Alabama might even get it to a point in the game where they cover, but he doesn't think that Ole Miss's offense will slow things down at any point, and you could have a significant backdoor cover there. And also said uh, Mississippi State wins it outright. Did he say 27-26, was that his final? Yeah, super close, yeah. So 27-26. If that played out as predicted by Bruce Marshall – that would be consecutive weeks in which Kentucky lost one-point games at home. Oof. Both times as a favorite. To Mississippi teams. What an odd To Mississippi teams, no less. Yeah. Do you disagree with anything that he put out there, Borky? No, and by the way, Lee said uh, wrong team favored in Lexington. That's right. Okay. That's right. He had Mississippi State winning the game outright. Hmm. Well, don't worry. When we get to my picks, my analytical system is ready. So, okay, you've been you've been touting that for days now. Yeah. Have you got a nine hundred number lined up to? Uh, no, I don't think I'm gonna make. A, I don't think I'm gonna make a profession. I don't think I, I want to make it go down that road. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Is that based on your three correct against the spread predictions in the first two weeks of picking games in the SEC? Well, we got better each week, you know. It's it's just about getting a little bit better. It's a process. It's like twenty eighteen Arkansas. It's, it's 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 not a it's not a sprint. It's not a race. It's it's a marathon. Okay. Good to know. So, did you hear back from your your guy yet? Yes, yes. I wanted to go there first. So let, let's clean up the uh, the story from the South Panola Georgia game. Um, that would have I been a blowout. Did I just say South Carolina, Georgia? South Panola, Georgia. South Panola, Georgia. What a, what a game that would be. Sorry, the South Panola Germantown game. Mouth going faster than brain there just for a minute. So I went directly to the source on this. Not the official himself, but uh, someone very involved with that process. So high school football officiating game assignments are determined by crew not by individual. And there was an error that was made in the assignment, not thinking about or recognizing that the baseball coach at South Panola, who was a high school football official, was on this crew that was assigned to South Panola and Germantown. And it was not until the game was underway that someone realized, oh, this is a bad deal. It had nothing to do as I am told, with a particular call or any calls related to this particular official, but just the appearance of of what it looked like. And as soon as they realized the mistake, once the officials got to the locker room in halftime, the person that assigns the crews called the referee and said, you got to pull this guy off the game. And he said, why? He said, because he's the baseball coach at South Panola, and they said, okay. And so they pulled him off the game, and he was not part of the, the officiating crew for the second half. 
Yeah, I got sent a link to the live stream, and you can. I don't want to go down the like the racial lines, but he's the only white guy on the crew, and he's there in the first half, and he is not there in the second half. So it obviously happened, and like you said, it looks like it was just an oversight. Yeah, and there was somebody that was arguing with us, saying, "No, no, this change actually happened before the game actually uh, before the game began." That is that is not correct. Borky's guy, so you know, I, I'm not surprised he's wrong. He he was on the officiating crew for the first half of that game between South Panola and Germantown, and as soon as they realized that this was a mistake, he should not have been on this game. He was pulled from the game, and there are folks that are saying, "Oh, well, this this is what happened that caused it to pull." I. Based on the information that I was able to gather, this was an honest mistake. And if you go to message board land, you see people saying, oh, this person should be fired, and this person should be fired, and this guy should never be allowed to work again. No, I mean, I feel like then you're kind of calling into question people's integrity with with no real reason to do that. I mean, if... I get that it's different because I don't have the ability to affect the outcome of a game. So this is a little bit apples and oranges. But that's kind of like saying, Richard, you can't broadcast an Ole Miss game because you went to Ole Miss. You you, you can't do that. You, you can't be objective. You can't be fair. Or, Richard, you can't broadcast a Mississippi State game because, well, you, you can't be objective. Because, because you're not... You know, down the middle. You've got ties to the other school in the state of Mississippi. And again, I know it's not exactly the same. From a broadcasting standpoint, I have no ability to affect the outcome of the game. But it's the same general principle. And if you say that, it's kind of like you're saying, yeah, Richard, you're not professional enough to handle that. Yeah. But at the same time, as soon as they realized, yeah, whether this guy is as legit as they come, whether he's the best official in the entire state of Mississippi, you can't have... A coach, even if it's for another program, officiating a high school football game involving that program. And as soon as they realized that, they made the change. I'm not buying into any conspiracy theories or uh, or anything else. Yeah. So there you go. I will say, though, that, and some of our texters are saying it too, what you're saying is one thing, right? But, yeah, if you're the coach at South Panola and you get assigned a South Panola game, you got to be smart enough to go, I, I, I probably don't need to be on this crew. Or something. We got to we got to move somebody around. That's just my opinion. Probably should have raised your own hand and said, "Hey, you know," but money's money. It's true. That's true. But I mean, at the same time, if if you say if you, I don't know when they get these assignments. I assume it's not three hours before the game. If you get the thing on Tuesday afternoon, and say, "Hey, you're you're doing the South Panola game." Surely there's somebody you can call and say, hey, can I switch with somebody else? And they come to South Panola and I go to yeah. so-and-so. So you don't lose a check. I don't know. I, I have my, my, my knowledge of the inner workings of high school officiating is very limited. Well, but, but the other piece of this, again, is if entire crews are assigned, and, and I can tell you for a fact that there is an extreme officiating shortage in the state of Mississippi – and the officials are very aware of this, and it could be that the guy just goes, well, as a result of the shortage, maybe my whole crew just got assigned to this, and I'll do the best I can. Um, I, I'm, I'm not making excuses for anyone. Obviously, it was right. a mistake. It's a, just a bad situation. There's no, there's it, no it, it was a mistake. Yeah. And as soon as they realized the mistake, they fixed it. 
Whether that is a good enough explanation for you or for others or not, I don't know. Well, and there are some people that can't separate it, like you mentioned on the broadcast side of things. There are people, uh, some of which that have platforms, that have the mental capacity of a newborn cow that think that just because you have a tie to one school, you could not possibly objectively speak about the other. Um, That's how some people are. Luckily, they're the ones that don't matter. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that are saying, no, you've got to decline that if you're the official. Well, at least what Haydad said, call and say, hey, you got to reassign me. But it, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so maybe there's blame to go around. But ultimately, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it affected Certainly. or didn't affect the outcome of the game because I didn't watch the first half of the game. But we do know that South Panola came back late in the game, as Stephen Gagliano to- told us, and uh, scored a touchdown to go ahead at the end when that official was not on the field. So, anyway, there you go. There <laughs> you go. Funny text from Josh. Said, Richard, set up interviews with Saban, Najee Harris, Mac Jones, Sarkeesian, Pete Golding during the game. You can affect the outcome of the game. Nobody will be mad. It's a good idea. Just, mm. get on, just get on the Alabama sideline and just put a microphone in Saban's face. See where it takes you. Yeah, so we'll see how that works out. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> Um, C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to jump in. A lot of you not accepting the explanation that I gave you, you, you disagree with the explanation, That that's fine. I'm just telling you that's what happened. You, you can tell me what the official should have done or what the assigning secretary should have done or what the MHSAA should have done. That, that's fine. You're, you're entitled to opinion on, on all of that. And, and I'm not arguing with you one way or the other. I'm just telling you what actually happened and how they fixed it when they realized a mistake had been made. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. More coming up right after this. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this... Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend. A little less than an hour and a half left with you. Luke Johnson joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We were expecting Southern Miss and FAU tomorrow. Had wondered out loud throughout much of the week as to uh, whether or not that game would be moved or postponed or whatever as a result of Hurricane Delta. Turned out the answer to that was no, but the game is not going to be played, Luke, because of COVID issues related to FAU. What's up? Hey, guys. Uh, in Gulfport right now, driving back. I'm going to lay some floor in this weekend, but was uh, was calling West Shelf Taylorsville last night in the first quarter, got a text message, and we had talked to some people from FAU during the week, and they test on Thursdays, and so that was kind of holding your breath Thursday afternoon. And then it came down uh, last night that FAU is postponing the game because of uh, COVID issues, and they won't be making the trip to Hattiesburg. So Golden Eagles uh, will do a little practice today, take tomorrow and most of Sunday off, and get ready for UTEP starting uh, late Sunday and early Monday. I am curious uh, about no decision related to the game to the uh... – related to weather 
Was it because looking at the track of the storm, it looked like it was going to kind of slide north of Hattiesburg, and they thought they were going to be okay with that? Yeah, when I uh, think about Monday or Tuesday, when the projected track had it going, uh, really, uh, when with the eye going west of Baton Rouge, and then with it, you know, horseshoeing back, it was going to get North Mississippi. They felt good about even a 3 p.m. kick. They didn't have any issues with it. Jeremy never released another statement uh, about postponing because the weather, and it was it was all due to COVID. Um, you had asked me that question, you know, Tuesday, had they thought about moving it to, to Boca? That never resurfaced at all, and it was strictly a COVID decision. The, the hurricane really never factored into anything. Is this – I mean, it's a disappointing development in so much as you you want to play all your games. You want to play as many games as you can possibly play. But especially given that Southern Miss won and felt like they had a little bit of momentum, does that make this one a little bit harder to swallow or, or no? Yeah, that, that's the that's probably the, the most frustrating thing. You felt you felt like um, you had a, a little improvement on defense. You felt like your offense uh, moved the ball a lot better. But most importantly, you felt mentally kind of clear minded. I mean, you, you felt like you mentally you got over a hump. You could hold a lead. Um, you you're you're hitting on some some different aspects of your game. Your running game improves and. Yeah, now you can't play. So uh, it's about keeping, you know, guys mentally sharp. It does allow, you know, Tim Jones and some of those other guys who didn't play last week maybe to, to get fully healed up before next week. But it is disappointing because uh, if you want to play off success and, and momentum, you never want to take a backseat to it. Any insight at all onto or into the, the recovery of Tim Jones? I mean, we, we talked about some guys kind of emerging and creating a secondary option there, and that certainly is good, but you want to get him back on the field as quickly as you can. You can, and I think more and more it's got to be a hamstring. They just keep talking about how it's a soft tissue injury in the lower body and how he initially reacted um, in the Louisiana Tech game. And, you know, sometimes those hammies, man, they they take a while. And um, he apparently, you know, he can move on it. They they just don't want him to get into those acceleration, deacceleration, and, have an opportunity to, to re-injure it. So, yeah, I think it, it certainly gives him uh, with, with more more time to do that. But they've been pretty quiet about what his uh, prognosis is going forward. So now a couple of road games coming up. Uh, UTEP next week, and we got uh, word earlier this week, a little bit of a schedule change. That one has been pushed back to 6.30 p.m., and it's going to be on ESPN2. So a nice television window there for, uh, for Southern Miss in a game that – I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you probably feel pretty decent about your chances going into. You do. Um, Dana Demble's in his third year at UTEP, uh, and, you know, they, they've had some success early on. They play Louisiana Tech on the road tomorrow, so you'll kind of see what they're made of. But, yeah, it, it is a, an opportunity. Most of the time when you go to El Paso, you're, you're thinking a win, um, and, and then you turn around and, and you go to Liberty. So, yeah, you, if you look at it that way, three road games in a row, you start three games at home and then you go three road games in a row. So another opportunity, I guess, for the Golden Eagles to, to, to work on being mentally tough and playing right there. I mean, it's a beautiful atmosphere out there uh, in, in the Sun Bowl. Um, but I think you'll see what UTEP really is tomorrow when they play at Ruston. They're a 14-point underdog. Switching gears a little bit from football to baseball, Scott Barry's ball club begins its fall practice schedule. I, I, maybe they're practicing right now. Today was the first day of, uh, of fall practice, and 
Uh, we know how big of a deal that uh, baseball is in Hattiesburg. I'm, I'm sure some excitement. And I, I know after visiting with Scott a few weeks ago, he was looking forward to being able to get back on the field for full practices, not just individual work, but full practices with, uh, with his baseball team. Yeah, Scott Berry's really excited about this team. You look at uh, who they bring back, really the only person that they lost was Matthew Guidry. And when you get your entire rotation back, Walker Powell's back, taking advantage of um, you know of the of the extra year of eligibility. Deb Shepard went undrafted in those five rounds. Ben Etheridge is back. Hunter Stanley, the closer, is back. They may try to work him into some type of uh, midweek starter uh, rotation. But then then you look at the offense with with Dickerson back, Will McGillis back, and. A name that you guys should start hearing about, Slade Wilkes is a guy from Columbia Academy. Uh, Perfect Game has him as the number one offensive or outfielder prospect in Mississippi, number two overall prospect in Mississippi. He's been ranked as high as a top ten national prospect. Uh, A lot of power. Um, um, An outfielder. Another kid coming in is is Peyto from Van Cleve. Another kid that hit 400-plus, 6'3". 200 pounds. There's a lot of power coming in, and you look at some of those guys returning. Gabe Montenegro's back, just uh, still a redshirt junior. And Scott Barry, I think his biggest problem is wondering how to get everybody back because there is a whole lot of average in the lineup and with these power guys coming back. It's really exciting. They did start practice today, and they'll be practicing on the the weekend. Public can't go out, obviously, because of COVID. Scott's going to join us Monday on the Eagle Hour, and we're excited to catch up with him and hear about his 2021 squad. When do you think they're going to make the announcement on what the uh, the schedule looks like for uh, 2021? You know, it, it may be. I know you're excited about it. Uh, we got a little insight on it, but uh, it, it's going to be probably closer to Christmas. They, they usually keep that pretty tight. tight okay. up. Um, who knows? They, they may come out with it, but in years past, they've kind of waited. I'll just say this. If you are a Southern Miss baseball fan, you're going to have a really good idea, I think, of what this team is capable of a month into the season. Because, really, the first four weeks are just absolutely outstanding in terms of scheduling. Certainly something to be excited about as you roll into the uh, the new season. Is that fair? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, from, from what I've heard and the, the trickles that have come out, it's a uh... It's an old school, anyone, anywhere, anytime football schedule is what it is. The good news is, I think three of the four weeks are at home. So, but um, the, the the road series you're going to be excited about if you're a Southern Miss baseball fan as uh, as well. Fun game last night, right? With uh, West Jones and uh, and Taylorsville, big challenge for West Jones. Taylorsville already had a win against uh, against Jackson Prep on this season, and uh, West Jones comes out on the uh, the left side of the ledger with a uh, two-touchdown win last night. It was. It was tight back and forth. Tykees uh, is athletic. You feel like Wes Jones was, was really playing against four and 4A, 5A skill players. Taylorsville hadn't seen you know an offensive and defensive line like that of Wes Jones. And Wes Jones jumped out of the 21-7 lead. It was wet. And uh, the ball got turned over a lot on both teams. I think nine total turnovers. Tykees actually threw an interception, and then Wes uh, fumbled the return. So it was kind of one of those nights. It was wet, but West Jones really established the uh, the running game, and and but it man, it was just sure fun to watch. You know, there's some rumors out there that 
Taylorsville actually might slide down to 1A next year, and I feel sorry for everybody in 1A if that turns out to be true. Mm. No doubt. Because they are uh, they're stout, and they're stout year in, year out, and uh, obviously Ty Key's a guy that is uh, attractive to a lot of schools that are out there as well. Luke, good luck laying floor this weekend. Is it nail down or glue down, or is it one of those floating floors where you get to snap it together? It's one of those luxury vinyl. You, you put it together, and helping one of my buddies in Laurel, he really helped me on my remodel, and I'm trying a little bit to help him back. So we're going to try to get a lot of it tonight, take advantage of the free Friday night. There you go. Thank you, my friend. Good talking to you. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. He joins us, as always, on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We've got our picks coming up for the college football fix in just a little while. We'll also give you the Pearl River Resort pick of the day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you on this Friday afternoon. As you know, the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. That's if you want to be a part of the show we, of course, would love to hear from you. Uh, because of the threat of severe weather earlier in the week, at a bunch of high school football games that were moved. As a result, we had the scoreboard show last night, brought to you by Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Companies, the scoreboard show. And tonight, what is normally the preview show, will be a bit of a wrap-up show from all the games that took place last night, plus uh, a few games that are happening tonight as well. Just so you know, and Haydad is going to love this, we are celebrating National Pork Month and reintroducing you to pork, real pork. Together, let's celebrate everything that is real about pork, real stories, real pig farmers, and the real way people feel when they enjoy the authentic flavors of pork. Go to pork.org slash real dash pork. To learn more, favorite I need no pork reintroduction. What I need it? no favorite? reintroduction. I I am very familiar with pork. Uh gosh, bacon. Just keep it simple. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> Pulled pork or ribs? Ribs. Porky. Oh yeah, it's easily ribs. What's your number one pork? Oh, it's bacon. It's got to be, right? Bacon. Just so much you can do with bacon. So much you can do with pork. It's the most versatile of all meats. There is, is no it? marinade, no seasoning it will not take. Like with steak, Some would argue chicken is the most versatile. Yeah, but you know, but pork is better. So. You know, steak, you can't go crazy with the marinade. You know, you got to be reserved with that. It's true. Pork. The world is your oyster. Why is that? I, I don't know. Just the way beef tastes versus the way pork tastes. I don't know. I don't know. But I, but I love any and all cuts of pork. The loin, the tenderloin, the sausage, the ribs, the butt, the ham, the bacon. The I'll bacon. <laughs> Get it in there. I'll... I'm uh, I'm with you. 
I, I'm curious. So we spent so much time this week talking about the uh, the games on the SEC slate. They're not just a ton of national sexy games. Does Clemson Miami do much for you? Or do you it's think it's a blowout game. city? It's a prove it game. Okay. Uh, you know, if Miami can, if Miami's close in that game, you feel really good about where they are as a program. Um, if they're not, well, then it's just sort of same old Miami. You got Florida Pretty State, good Notre matchup Dame. in Chapel Hill. It's long go time, baby. Let's go. Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Virginia Tech comes in at number nineteen. North Carolina comes in at number eight. Tar Heels a three point favorite at home. Sam Howell's numbers so far. Maybe less than you would have expected. They're the worst top ten team in the history of college football. North Carolina is? Yeah. And that, that doesn't mean they're bold statement. bad. Wow. They're probably in a regular year a bowl team, but I watched the Syracuse game and even some of the Boston College game. That is in no way, shape, or form at all anywhere close to resembling a real top ten team. Can they grow into it? Not this year. Where would they be ranked if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were playing right now? Well, those teams are getting ranked. I don't know if the Pac-12 is, but I know the Big Ten teams are ranked. Uh, okay. Let's Ohio see. State was sixth in the last poll, I believe. Let's see. Uh, okay, AP, current AP. You've got Ohio State at six. That's the only team. Penn State's behind them. I don't. Like I said I don't know about the Pac twelve. Pac twelve. If they've gotten them in there yet. Oregon's Oregon. at twelve. Okay. Well, then there you go. Yeah. So I mean, North Borky, Carolina's would you not. Have, would you have Cincinnati in front of North Carolina? I haven't watched Cincinnati yet, so I wouldn't know for sure. Okay. Um, but I would probably pick eight SEC teams to beat North Carolina. Just SEC teams to beat them. Okay. Tough critic. Borky said worst team, worst top 10 team in the history of college football. Isn't it kind of crazy that Texas Oklahoma is getting zero fanfare? A couple of bad teams. Texas at 2 and 1, Oklahoma at 1 and 2. Kicking off at 11 on Fox from the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Lovely Fair Park. College Football Fix coming your way when we come back on Sports Talk Mississippi. Five o'clock hour with you on this Friday rolling into week three in the Southeastern Conference. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. You know the ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. You also know that at ceasefire they're always asking the big questions, like why wait for the next device to get the device you actually want? Right now you can get any iPhone $100 off at your local ceasefire store and online at ceasefire.com. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer 
Today, it is time for us to make our picks through two weeks. Brian Haydad is, I think I slighted you a pick earlier. Oh, four and ten, six games below 500. Through two weeks, Michael Borky, who got off to a good start, took a step back last week. He is six and eight. And through two weeks, I have gone four and three, four and three, so I am eight and six. Only one of us in the money so far, by the way. But that can all change in the blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. Let's make some picks for uh, the games this week involving SEC teams. Borky, I will give you the honors. Florida, six-point favorite at Texas A&M. Who you got? That line keeps dropping, doesn't it? That's uh, giving me a little bit of reason for concern, but I think Florida's offense is just too explosive, and A&M will not be able to keep up. So I'll take a touchdown if I can get it. Hey, Dad. Oh, I, I don't. Like I said earlier, I don't think the Aggies are good. I think I'm, I'm sliding into they are not a good football team. Definitely take the Gators here. I think there's some talent on the roster, but something just seems to not be quite right in College Station, at least for now. I like this Florida offense. I like the consistency of Kyle Trask. I love the playmaking ability of Kyle Pitts. Uh, yeah, I, I'll go with the Gators. Their defense is a little concerning, a little concerning. But I think I'm probably going to pick Florida to win every single game they play for the rest of the year, something, unless something major happens from an injury standpoint. I'm happy to, lay, that, but... yeah, happy to lay the six points and uh, take the Florida Gators. Uh, game number two originally scheduled for Baton Rouge, now being played in Columbia. From 8 p.m. in Baton Rouge to 11 a.m. in Columbia, Missouri, LSU is a 14-point favorite on the road as the home team in Como. Hey, Dad, you are up first this time. Yeah, I think LSU sort of snapped back into things uh, last week uh, playing against a bad Vanderbilt team. They'll continue to do so against a bad Missouri team uh, who has no real firepower on either side of the ball. Give me uh, the LSU Tigers, and I will give the points. Borky, you have been riding the underdog train and the over train. Will you stay with that as we look at uh, LSU and Missouri? Not this time. Uh, And I think people are going to overreact greatly to LSU winning the way they're going to win tomorrow. Missouri, simply not good. A lot of problems there. LSU's going to win. They're going to win by more than 14. Everybody's going to declare them back, and this is not the game to do that for. Okay. I tend to agree with you. Um, I, I just thought LSU played a complete game. I know Vanderbilt's really bad. I, I get that. And I don't care about the result of the first game when Vanderbilt played hard, whatever. LSU dominated that game. Uh, Miles Brennan was pretty impressive throwing the football. They controlled the game. They were good defensively, nice bounce-back performance. They're not facing an air raid in this game, uh, far from it. And even though LSU is inexperienced on the defensive side of the ball, they are talented and they are going to make things uncomfortable for Mr. Bazilak and uh, Missouri. I will take LSU and will lay the 14 points. South Carolina, 13.5-point favorite in Nashville against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Borky, lead us off on this one. Colin Hill and the Gamecocks were okay offensively last week. Okay enough to overcome a 13.5-point uh, deficit in their line. I think they will cover this. The game will be terrible. It'll be ugly. Vanderbilt's just so overmatched against everybody. 
that they will play. I like the freshman quarterback. That little back with the dreadlocks is okay. I forget his name, but that's how I identify him. Uh, he's a good little <laughs> player. The rest of the team is filled with not-so-good players, and even South Carolina, who's bad, uh, will not be tested. Hey, Dad, South Carolina giving up 13-and-a-half. They're 0-2, so is Vandy. What happens when the movable object meets the resistible force? What happens when the two worst teams in the in the SEC come together? A a a, a explosion of putridness that may never be uh, equaled again. I, I refuse to pick Vanderbilt. I, I don't like either one of these teams, but give me South Carolina. I'm not going to lose because I said, hey, I think Vandy can cover. <sighs> I tend to agree with you, but three picks into this thing, it feels like there's a need to be a contrarian. Mm. And so, I, you know, the hatred that you guys have for Will Muschamp has rubbed off on me. I'll say South Carolina wins the game, but it's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to be by two touchdowns. Give me the doors getting 13-and-a-half at home at Dudley Field. It's not personal, Richard. It's just business. Tennessee at Georgia. Georgia's a 12-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Oh, I'm so tempted. But I think Bruce Marshall is generally smarter than I am. His score forecast was 29-10. to 10. I can get on board with that. Tennessee's had some success running the football. Jared Carantano has been good at times, but he's been inconsistent. What is he, about 55 58% completion? 61 so far, if you can believe oh. it. Okay. Okay. Uh, hadn't faced Georgia's defense yet. He will tomorrow. I'll take Georgia laying the big number, 12 and a half. Uh, who, who's up? Borky, go ahead. Yeah, Gray and Chandler are pretty good backs. Uh, one of the better tandems in the SEC even. But like you said, haven't faced a defense like Georgia's yet. I think that'll be the great equalizer. Georgia talent wins out even though offensively there's a lot left to be desired for Georgia. But Tennessee's strength is Georgia's strength, or is going up against Georgia's strength, and that's not a recipe for a win. No, I definitely don't think Tennessee's going to win, but I think this is going to be a close game. I'm a little higher on Tennessee than I guess you guys are. I think they're a legitimate top-20 team. Georgia is really, really good, but their their forte isn't going to be blowing teams out, I don't think. So I'll take the 12-and-a-half here. Okay. Arkansas and Auburn. Auburn, a 14-point favorite at home. Hey, Dad, you saw this Arkansas team last week. You were a noted Auburn hater. Two touchdowns. You don't like Bo Nix. You think this team is overrated. Tell me more. Well, first off, with Arkansas, I mean, that is clearly going to be a favorite in the SEC West all year long. They are a real fact now. I do think this game will be a little closer than Auburn wants it to be, but I can see Auburn getting a late score to, to, to cover it up. Uh, so give me Auburn, and the, I'll give the points right now, but don't be surprised if they go into the fourth quarter only up seven or so. Scott Bort. Yeah, I tend to lean in the favor of Auburn. I think it's going to be a really ugly game. Uh, very little offensive success on both sides, but the team with the better roster should prevail at home, I think. Did I pick this one or did I just type it in? Maybe just I'll take all. In. Yeah, I'll take yeah, Auburn and lay the points as you well. You didn't say what you were doing, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Auburn and lay the points. All right. Uh, and and you know, Hogman says you guys got us right where we want you to have us. Right, right there is an underdog. Don't believe in us. Uh, okay. 
That's fine. I still think Auburn's defense is pretty good. And Arkansas didn't do a ton to impress me offensively last week. So 21 points on the board, and yet not enough. Alabama, 23.5-point favorite in Oxford against Ole Miss. I'm going to say that Ole Miss scores some points and the weather maybe plays a factor, and I think that's a big number. I, I tend to think Alabama wins the game. I tend to think. I think Alabama wins the game. But I'll say that uh, Ole Miss will keep it uh, in the three-touchdown range. I'm getting more than three touchdowns. Give me Ole Miss in the points. I think a cover is happening here, too. Have you seen who Alabama plays next week? It's Georgia, right? It is Georgia. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Alabama jumps out to an early lead, very similar to the way they did in Columbia, and they take their foot off the gas, and Ole Miss offensively is explosive enough to continue scoring, especially when Alabama kind of calls the dogs off. So I think 24 points, 23.5 is just a little too much with an explosive Ole Miss offense and an Alabama team that's wanting to get to next week healthy. Do I got hey, time? What you got? I mean, Alabama in the last four years in this has averaged like 48 to 50 points a game. And yep. Ole Miss's defense this year might be worse than the rest of those defenses. They're not good. They're giving up 600 yards a game. I'll take Alabama and give me. I'll give up the points. All right, we're going to hold off. We're going to pick Mississippi State, Kentucky when we get back because Haydad needs more than seven seconds to describe his pick method for this particular game. We'll wrap up our picks in the college football fix after this quick timeout. All right, so we're down to one game in our picks. Not like any of us have been just like running away and hiding from everyone. Hey, Dad's been running away and hiding, but's in a, in a hole all by himself in terms of his picks. And yet, Aww. he has come up with a model. He has come up with an algorithm. He has come up with a system. Mm. You want more information? Dial him up. one 900 69 Hey Dad. That's one 900 69 Hey Dad, and get all the info. Nice. Hey Dad. Kentucky. All right. Is a small favorite, a field goal favorite at home against Mississippi State, minus three. Yeah. Tell us about the system. It's very simple, guys. I've done a ton of research. I've looked into every angle of this game, and what I've got for you is this. i got a quarter, which I'm going to flip right now. Here we go. Head State wins and covers. Uh, Tails Kentucky wins and covers. It is Tails Kentucky wins and covers. There you go. There's my system. You've been touting that all week, and that was dumb. Yeah. Well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I have no idea who's going to win this game. I picked State on the podcast. I'll pick uh, Kentucky here. <laughs> so just hedging your bets there, huh? Just going to hedge them, yeah. Uh, Borky, do you have anything more scientific than heads you win, tails you lose? I'm having a hard time with this one just because I did see a Kentucky defense that got torched last week, and Mississippi State is going to obviously want to throw the football. The difference is the the offense that – this is going to make some people mad, whatever. The offense that Kentucky saw last week is better at throwing the football than the one they're going to see this week. They are far more efficient. See, Haydad rolls his eyes. Ole Miss has the most efficient passing offense in the country, and uh, Mississippi State turns the football over through the air multiple times so far this year. If you throw it 60 times and only get 300 yards, it's not that great of an offensive performance. So, struggling with this. I think I lean 
even still Mississippi State. Because they are going to throw the football against the secondary that did just get torched. Okay. And the, the facial extra- expressions from Brian Haydad as you were talking there. Holy cow. I mean, the statistics Eyes tell you rolled, that one of... thrown back, spinning st- in his chair. The the numbers, the, the actual like hard data tell you that one passing offense is better than the other. Not just yards, because yards can be deceiving. The efficiency, the yards per completion, everything favors Ole Miss right now. That can change, certainly. Maybe Matt Corral's due for a bunch of mistakes because he hasn't had any yet. But and right now, the rain this week, I, f- I fear that might happen. It's very possible. But through two games, one passing offense is more efficient and more effective than the other. Backed by numbers. I so, got Kentucky. Hey, six and I got Kentucky feet. only because I think. Oh, imagine they that, are. Richard. I'm sorry. You guys always do it to me. Go ahead. Though. I know. I know. Uh, I didn't do it to you today when you picked Ole Miss over or Bama over Ole Miss. I just let it let it fly today. Um, it's because you respect the tide. Hey, uh, my rationale is pretty simple, and it may be dumb, and, and I mean this may be way too surface level and not enough XO driven or not. But I think Mark Stoops is a good coach. His background is defensively. I watched one of the worst SEC teams in the league last week hold Mississippi State to 14 points. Now, Dave o- or Barry Odom is a fantastic defensive mind. But the scheme that they employed was not that difficult a scheme. It was keeping in front of you and tackle in the open field. And then take advantage when Mississippi State mis- makes mistakes and force some turnovers. I don't know if Kentucky is going to be able to do that or not. But I'm going to take the defensive mind in Mark Stoops. But more than that, I think it's a good Kentucky team that just is absolutely backed into a corner and is desperate. Even more desperate than Mississippi State because Mississippi State's got to win. Kentucky's sitting there at 0-2 with Georgia and Tennessee on the horizon. And I know I know they say one game at a time, don't look ahead, blah, 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 blah. And you know who you got coming up next. And you know who's coming up after that? Could be dead wrong. Mississippi State could win this game 42 to 17. And on Monday, you guys can go, ha ha, Richard, you idiot. At least Haydad only did it because he flipped a coin. And that's fine. But I mean, we just got to pick them. So I'll take a flyer on that. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.